Hi, and welcome to Islington Baptist Church's podcast. This is where you'll find our weekly Bible talks from our church service every Sunday. We hope you enjoy and you might like to leave us a review or rating. Now, I've noticed that we've got a bit of a, an issue in our household. I don't think we're unique, but I've definitely noticed it. You see, when I say something to the kids, when I tell them to stop doing something or I ask them to do something, uh, I assume that I'm giving an authoritative instruction that will or at least should be heeded, given serious attention. But it often seems that the kids are hearing something different. They seem to be hearing the opinion of a peer, a suggestion that somebody uh, is making that they could listen to if they want to. Uh, And frankly, sometimes it seems like they're just hearing noise, (laughs) like I'm just background babble, you know, in a restaurant that is for somebody else. Uh, It's not even registering as meaningful words. Now, we all receive communication in different ways, don't we? What we actually hear when people speak to us, what, what significance, what meaning we give those words, it can vary a lot. Uh, what's going on for us at the time, uh, how we view the other person, the relationship we have with them, assumptions, values, well, all these things shape uh, how, you know, whether we pay attention to them in the first place and how we receive what they're saying to us. So, uh, for example, two people might go to um, hear a self-help guru giving a speech about how to turn your life around. And one one of these people, they hear the voice of a guru. You know, they see hope and wisdom in their words. They receive what he or she is saying as, as the beginning of a new phase of life. The other person hears the hollow words of a crook. They hear carefully crafted speech designed to make them sign up for a 10-week course. They hear something that should be ignored. Now, the question that uh, the passage from 1 Thessalonians that we're looking at today poses for us is what do we hear when God speaks to us? Do we hear him at all? When and how do we hear his voice? What evidence is there that we are, in fact, listening to God? Are we receiving God's word as God's word? Or do we just assume we're you know, hearing the words of a peer, uh, someone we can ignore if we, if we feel the need, maybe even someone who should be ignored? Now, the passage poses this question to us up front in verse 13, the start of the passage. And at the same time, it's telling us really what the answer should be. Paul explains to his readers, uh, the church in Thessalonica, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So how did the Thessalonians hear God speak to them? Well, they heard a couple of guys turn up and start talking about a man named Jesus who had suffered and been crucified and risen to life again. And they heard these men explain how what happened to this guy, Jesus, was a fulfillment of God's promises to his people in the Jewish scriptures. Now, two weeks ago, um, uh, when we started the series in 1 Thessalonians, you read Luke's summary 
of Paul's preaching uh, to the Thessalonians, uh, and that was from Acts chapter 17. And he describes there how Paul went to the synagogue over three weeks, and uh, Luke explains, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, Paul said. So God's word to the Thessalonians, it was not a voice from heaven booming out, nor was it a, a private mystical experience, you know, a private moment of revelation in their hearts. They heard a message spoken by other human beings. They heard a message about this guy named Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promises. And that's why Paul draws attention to the fact that God's word to the Thessalonians was a word they heard from them, a word that could easily have been received as just merely a human message, because it was a human message. It was a message from one human to another. But Paul's point is that, of course, it, it wasn't fundamentally a human message at all. It was the word of God. And so he celebrates the fact that they grasped this truth. They received their message about Jesus for what it really was, the word of God. They didn't just hear Paul and his friends speaking, they heard God speaking. And so how do we hear God speaking? How do we hear his voice? Well, we receive the message of the apostles about Jesus for what it really is, the word of God. And for us today, uh, for Christians you know, for nearly 2,000 years, we have the privilege, don't we, of having the complete message. You see, you might think that the Thessalonians were lucky because they had the Apostle Paul in the flesh, teaching them personally about Jesus and showing how the Old Testament was all about God's salvation through Jesus. But we have a greater blessing. We have the complete Bible. We have the New Testament, the, the full witness of the apostles about Jesus and God's redemption in him. And we have the Old Testament to read in light of this witness, to give full meaning and significance to their message about Jesus. So the Bible, the, the New Testament and the Old Testament together, uh, read and understood in light of each other, this is God's word to us, to, to the world. You see, the Jews accepted the Scriptures as God's word to them, but then many of them failed to hear God's voice to them because they rejected the fulfillment of those very Scriptures. In the end, uh, the, the Old Testament, when it's disconnected from Jesus, when it's read in opposition to the, the witness of the New Testament, that's, that's actually not God's word to anybody. And then, on the other hand, uh, liberal Christians today read the whole Bible as Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. It, it's a holy text worthy of some kind of devotion. But then they don't receive it as the word of God. Ultimately, they treat it as a human message to be, to be weighed and sifted through their assumptions and their reason. Mystics and even charismatics can fall into a trap of thinking that really hearing from God is a special transcendent experience, different to, other than God's word to us in the pages of the Bible. They might say, the Bible, sure, it's God's word, but it, it's not the fullness of what God really has to say to you. You need something more. Now, I remember as an 18-year-old really wanting to hear God speak to me personally, to have a, a, an experience. I'd been reading biographies of, of uh, missionaries and other Christians who had these amazing experiences of uh, they seemed to hear God 
audibly or, or tangibly in some way. And, and I, I really wanted that experience. And I was, I was praying to God, you know, let me, let me hear you speak. Speak to me. Reveal yourself to me. And, and you know, one night I was really uh, just getting a bit worked up. Come on, God, speak to me now. I want to hear your voice. And this is uh, a bit embarrassing to admit now, but I actually got to the point of saying, that's it, I'm not going to breathe until I hear your voice. <laughs> and so I held my breath, kind of like a two-year-old <laughs> who wants a, a lolly, and was praying, you know, God, speak to me. And after about 15 seconds, I realized what my feet were on. I was sitting in my bed, and my feet were resting, can you guess? on my Bible, and I kind of had a moment of realization. Uh, you know, ironically, God did speak to me, didn't he? <laughs> Gave into my, it was very condescending to me. And I, uh, I let out my breath sheepishly, and I picked up my Bible, and I heard God speak to me. So hearing God's word means embracing the testimony of the apostles about Jesus, God's promised Messiah in fulfillment of the law and the prophets, receiving this message as God's word to you. That's the first um, big thing we learn about what it means to hear God's word in this passage. And the second thing this passage reveals about hearing God's word is that it is, in fact, a work of God in our lives. Hearing God speak through the Bible, through the good news of Jesus, is something that God enables us to do. Uh, as we've just seen, verse 13, it's all about the fact that the Thessalonians received God's word uh, from Paul and his friends as God's word. But did you notice how the sentence starts? We also thank God continually that you received it as it really is, the word of God. So he doesn't congratulate them for being clever enough. We want to congratulate you for receiving the word that we shared as God's word. Um, you know, he, he doesn't congratulate them for being spiritually sensitive enough to discern uh, in, in their message what was really going on. He thanks God for the way they received their message. He recognizes that the way the Thessalonians received what they were saying about Jesus, the way they embraced it as the Word of God to them, well, that was the result of the powerful working of God's Spirit in their hearts. Back in chapter 1, he explained uh, in chapter 1, verse 4, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. Now, later on, Paul describes how the courage to speak in the face of opposition was also a work of God's Spirit in his heart. But here, in these verses, he's, he's talking about the work of God's Spirit in their lives, affecting the way they heard and responded to what was said. It wasn't just sound waves and, and brain signals going on. It was the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing assurance and hope. It was evidence of God choosing them and granting them faith in what they heard. And that's why Paul continually thanks God for them, for the way they received God's word from them. We can only hear God's word as God's word when God's Spirit opens our hearts and our minds to hear and grasp hold of it. And this positive response of the Thessalonians, which Paul attributes to God's gracious work in their hearts, it's highlighted against uh, the backdrop of the sad rejection of Paul's message by a number of the Jewish people. 
when Paul uh, spoke in the Jewish synagogue in Thessalonica about Jesus, uh, as we just read it, um, again from Acts 17, Luke goes on to explain, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. So wherever Paul's gone to preach the message, he has seen some respond positively through a work of God in their hearts, and then others dismiss him, maybe scorning him, and still others opposing him violently. And in the last uh, two verses of our passage today, as we'll see, Paul elaborates on the way that some of the Jewish people have been determined to reject God's word to them. They hear the same message, the, the same words going in, but they don't hear it as the word of God. Now, it's not God's fault if we fail to hear his word as it really is. That's our responsibility. You see, the Jews who opposed Jesus and the apostles' message, they weren't innocent victims. They had all sorts of personal motivations and reasons for resisting this message about Jesus. They didn't like what they were hearing. But the Bible is clear that in the end, we need God's spirit to enable us to hear the word of God as God's word to respond to it rightly as the word of our almighty creator, our sustainer, our redeemer. Now, it's not necessarily that we can't understand what the Bible's saying without the help of God's spirit, as if it's too complicated or tricky, uh, or that the good news of Jesus is, is some cryptic mystery which only makes sense once you've been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Uh, yes, of course, God does help us understand, and the gospel does make a whole lot more sense when we see things from God's point of view, but it's really about the conviction that you are actually hearing God's voice in the pages of Scripture, and you're aware of God's Spirit convicting you of the truth and the beauty and the goodness of that Word. It's what theologians call the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. So first, the Holy Spirit uh, breathed out the Scriptures as they are through the prophets and the apostles. That's what we call the inspiration of the Bible. Uh, It says what it says because God's Spirit was speaking through the human authors. It's the objective side of God's Word to us. But then the Spirit takes that Word, it breathes that same Word afresh into our hearts and minds as we read it. It's not a new or a different Word, but it's God speaking that Word to us personally, enabling us to hear to hear God actually addressing us, to understand it, to accept it, to respond to it, entrust ourselves to it as his word. And he continues to speak that word to us through his spirit. That's fundamentally how he works in and amongst us as his people. And that brings us to the third point. Hearing God's word changes your life. God works powerfully through his word to shape us and change us. Uh, Paul states this point simply at the end of verse 13. The Word of God is indeed at work in you who believe. He's picking up uh, what he's already said back in chapter 1, where he recalls their work produced by faith, their labor prompted by love, their endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's Word, which revolves around this gracious redemption Uh, that God has achieved for us in Jesus, it changes how we think about life, about our future, about our circumstances, our our purpose, our relationships. It it changes everything. 
Uh, and God's Spirit fills our hearts with hope as he speaks this word to us. He helps us to trust in God's promises and energizes us to live lives in light of this hope that are worthy of the gospel, loving our neighbors, honoring God in our decisions. You see, the consistent picture of the New Testament of how God is at work in people's lives is through his word, by his spirit speaking that word amongst his people, his people speaking that word to each other. So as we speak God's word to each other, we're teaching, encouraging, reminding, correcting, discussing implications. As we model to each other repentance and faith in this word, God's spirit applies this word to our hearts and our minds and brings transformation. He changes us. And that's why we prioritize gathering around God's word together. All our activities as a church, all that we might plan to do in the future, they're all ultimately directed towards prayerfully hearing and responding to the Bible in the context of loving relationships. That's how God is at work amongst us who believe. That's why we do what we do. And the particular evidence Paul sees of God at work among the Thessalonians through his word is the way they have willingly, even joyfully, suffered for the sake of their hope in Jesus just like those they received the message from. That's the the fourth and final thing I think this passage says about hearing God's word, that it involves participating in the rejection and the suffering of Jesus and his people. So Paul goes on in verse 14, and you'll be glad to know we've finally moved on from the first verse uh, of this short passage, but um, we'll we'll cover the rest a little more quickly. Uh, Anyway, Paul goes on in verse 14 to explain his conviction that the word of God is at work amongst them. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. Paul points to the way they imitated the example of the first Christians, the the churches in Judea. See, those Christians, they suffered rejection and harassment, even violence from the Jewish leadership for their faith in Jesus. And rather than giving up on Jesus as soon as things became difficult and just backing away, they endured that suffering, gladly even, in light of their eternal, unshakable hope in Jesus. And Paul points out how the Thessalonians have, have suffered the same kinds of things from their own people because of their hope in Jesus. They have imitated those churches in the way they have heard and responded to God's word in Jesus. Now, that's the point that Paul's really making here, and we'll come back to it in a moment, but we just need to consider what Paul says here about his fellow Jews and what he goes on to say in the final verse, um, because it's pretty full-on, if you you might have noticed. Uh, Paul goes on, They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Now, uh, this passage can, I think, sound anti-Semitic at the best of times. Uh, It can come across that way. And right now, with what's happening in Israel and Palestine, it's not the best of times, is it? So what's Paul saying? Why does he launch into this tirade against the Jewish people? Uh, Well, a really important point for understanding this is that he's not actually launching into a tirade against 
Jewish people in general. He's railing against those Jews who killed Jesus and his prophets and have driven out his apostles and followers. If you read um, the old 1984 edition of the NIV, you'll notice that there is a comma after the, at the end of verse 14 after the word Jews. But that comma has actually been taken out in more recent editions of the NIV and, and other more recent translations. Because that comma implies that everything Paul says after it is a description of the Jews in general. It's like he's saying, i.e., you know, the Jews, you know, those people who did all this bad stuff and who still do all this bad stuff. But when you remove the comma, like the more recent translations, uh, the assumption is that Paul is describing a particular group of people, the Jews who killed Jesus and drove us out. They are the ones who displease God and who oppose the purposes of God in the gospel. You see, the comma is not there in the original Greek. There's no punctuation at all in the original Greek. There's not even any spaces in the original Greek. Very difficult to read. Um, so it's a, it's a decision in translation. And that's why there was a theological article, which is behind decisions like this, called The Problem of the Anti-Semitic Comma Between 1 Thessalonians 2.14 and 15. You didn't know grammar could be anti-Semitic, but there you go. See, Paul is not anti-Semitic. He is a Jew himself. He loves his fellow Jews. He longs for them to embrace the, their Messiah in Jesus. And he, so he goes first to the Jews in every town that he goes to. His theological convictions that, that drive him is that the good news of Jesus, as the fulfillment of God's promises stretching all the way back to Abraham, this good news is first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But he has had enough of those Jews who are determined to reject the word of God, who are determined to reject Jesus and oppose God's purposes in his Messiah. And so he calls their behavior for what it is. Whatever they think they're doing, they are in fact displeasing God. They're hurting all of humanity because they strive to prevent the Gentiles from hearing the good news and being saved. And so just as Jesus himself denounced the hypocritical Jewish leaders who opposed him, Paul declares that these people, they're heaping up their sins to the limit. They're securing the wrath of God upon them for their determined rejection of his word. So that's what Paul's doing in this uh, little outburst. But as I said, his primary point is to draw attention to the response of the Thessalonians in the face of this kind of opposition and to explain that by enduring this treatment for their hope in Jesus, they have become imitators of the churches of God in Judea. And once again, as he does this, Paul's picking up things that he's already mentioned in chapter 1, the things that he is so thankful for. In chapter 1, verse 6, Paul explained how you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. See, in both chapters, uh, their willingness to suffer as a consequence of identifying as followers of Jesus, it's described as both a work of God, evidence of God's Spirit working in them, and as an imitation of other Christians. Uh, I don't know if it strikes you as odd how much attention Paul gives to enduring suffering for the sake of the gospel. You know, he, he, why he points to that reality almost more than anything else as evidence of God's work in them, as a distinguishing mark that they have indeed heard God's voice. 
is really hard, I think, for us to understand because we spend so much of our lives trying to avoid suffering. But Paul seems to be saying that there is something normal about enduring rejection and suffering as you receive the good news of Jesus. He seems to be saying that it should be expected. It's, it's almost a sign that you've, you've got it, you've heard it. And it does make sense, doesn't it? As Paul says in chapter 1, it's a response that's only possible through the Holy Spirit. The natural response of suffering, uh, to suffering is to run away from it, to protect ourselves from it. But the response brought about by the Holy Spirit is joy in the hope of the gospel. So someone rejoicing in the midst of suffering, you know, they must have a good reason for it. And it's not just a joy that overrides that experience of suffering, kind of makes us willing to endure it. It is that, but it's a joy that in some sense actually comes from suffering for the sake of Jesus, standing, standing with him in, in rejection, knowing that as you do, you express your true identity and confirm your hope in him. This is where I belong. This is who I am. The calling of the Christian life, it's not to be rescued from all the the difficulties of life here and now. It's to participate first in the suffering and rejection of Jesus and then in the glory and resurrection of Jesus. So responding in faith to the message of Jesus, it will typically bring about some form of tension, some form of difficulty in our life, some sort of sacrifice, uh, even rejection as a result. Now, for some of us, probably many of us in, in this context, it's, it's subtle. But for others, it can be terrifying, you know, like for the churches in Judea and Thessalonica. And enduring that suffering without giving up is an indication that we know what we have in Jesus is worth it. We hear God's good word in the gospel and we don't let go. So the question, as we finish, is... Are you hearing God's word? Are you hearing God's word? And what does that look like for you? Have you embraced the Bible, the full revelation of God's salvation in Jesus, as God's word? Do you continue to hear the scriptures as God's word to you? Do you come to it regularly to hear God speak to you? Do you ask for God's spirit to to speak that word to you? to help you to hear, to understand, to accept, to respond to it in humble faith? Does it shape how you think? Does it shape your attitudes, your decisions? Is God's word at work in you? Has hearing and responding to God's word brought conflict, tension, sacrifice, even rejection into your life? Are you holding on to God's word despite the difficulty that it can bring? Or... Are you hearing something else? Are you just hearing another message that you can consider in light of your own wisdom, your own desires, your own priorities? Hear and receive the word of God as the word of God. Pray for God's help to do that. Pray that God might be at work powerfully amongst amongst you, amongst all of us, by his word and his spirit, bringing joy and hope of the gospel Uh, no matter what comes our way. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you that you have spoken to us. You've made yourself known to us. You've made the, the hope that we have in Jesus clear to us, the forgiveness and redemption that we have in him. 
you have spoken to us. You continue to speak to us. We thank you. And we just pray that you would help us to hear you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.